Hey, today we're going to continue in the book of Genesis. Uh, I know that um, uh, today we're going to go through several chapters uh, at the same time. Um, and so um, that's not what we've been doing. It's taken us, I know, uh, some of the, the chapters that took us a week or maybe two weeks even to get through one chapter. Today we're going through several because as we talked about at the very beginning of this book, it's a narrative. It's kind of a story. And in some parts of the story, uh, there are deep theological things that are kind of back to back to back to back. Today we're going to see uh, really a part of Joseph's story. Um, but we're going to take kind of a big chunk because I think there's one really key theological thing, that, theological thing that we need to look at and really think about today. Uh, but let me ask you a question before we get started. What, what do you do when you've been done wrong? I mean, when you've really been done wrong by somebody, what is your first inclination? You know, our human side, our human nature always wants to kind of get even, don't we? We want to get some kind of revenge, especially if somebody's done us wrong on purpose. We're like, you know, I'm going to get you back for that, you know? Uh, sometimes revenge can be kind of funny a little bit, but it's always got a foundation of this kind of unforgiveness and meanness in some way. Now, let me just share with you a, a few ways that revenge can be a little bit funny, okay? Like, like here's one. I know you can't read that, but that is a series of computer files. And I just want to read to you what they are because I think this is kind of a, an example. Uh, uh, file number one, dear sister, File number two, as revenge for stealing my $20, file number three, I have hidden your project. File number four, in one of these folders. File number five, and guess what? File number six, all of these folders, seven, have three subfolders. Eight, this should teach you not, nine, to steal from me. Ten, so have fun trying to find your project. Eleven, if there's a lesson to be learned here. Twelve, it's don't steal from your big brother. Thirteen, with warm regards. Fourteen, and hateful loathing and vengeance. Fifteen your loving brother, 16, go die. Now, <laughs> now, if you've ever had a brother and you've ever stolen $20 from him, you know exactly what this is about. Now, that's, that, that makes us chuckle. That's kind of funny, right? Here, here's another one that I kind of like. Here's a, somebody that parked in a handicapped space, and those are actually post-it notes covering that car. Now, I would, you know, this is kind of something that, if you know me very well, this is something I might actually do, except that I'd be really afraid that some person in a wheelchair would come out there and have just forgot their lanyard, you know, or their placard or whatever it's called, and, and there they are. Uh, another one, now this one, man, this is really tempting. It, it, <laughs> you know, when you go to the grocery store and somebody parks in one of those places where you're like, you, that, that, that can't be an accident. You had to do that on purpose because you think your car is nicer than everybody else's car in the parking lot. That, that is hard not to do. And then this is one of my favorites right here. And I know you can't read that, that beautiful young lady there, picture of her. Here's what it says underneath her picture. And by the way, this was in a, a major magazine. It says, I am sick to death of watching you lot, her family, fighting over my money. I am not dead yet, so here you go. I'm spending it. I am putting this message in every magazine I can find and will keep doing so until all the money is gone. Then maybe you can stop all the bickering. Shame on you all, signed Bernie. <laughs> now, those make us chuckle. Those are funny. But let's be honest. Uh, when somebody does us wrong and we feel that thing in us to get back at them, we feel that thing in us that, uh, they deserve uh, to be hurt by us, that can get out of hand really fast. That comes from a place that is not uh, part of Christ in us. 
But today, we're going to see a different strategy than all of these things. Instead of revenge or vengeance, we'll see perhaps one of the greatest acts of forgiveness ever taken by a human being. We're going to see Joseph and his model of forgiveness. Now, let's review a little bit, okay? Uh, If you haven't been with us, Joseph was the 11th son of the 12 sons of his father, Jacob, and the first son of Jacob's favorite wife. Now, he had uh, the previous 10 from his wife's sister, who was also his wife, and his two wife's servants. Uh, Joseph was his father's favorite. In fact, he's the one that uh, he gave uh, the coat of many colors to, which was not only beautiful, uh, but it, it signified that he had authority and responsibility over the 10 older brothers, which is really what irritated him the most. In fact, his brothers were incredibly jealous. They were incredibly jealous of his coat and the position that his father had given, but also the fact that they just knew that Joseph was their father's favorite. They created a plot to kill him, but at the last minute, they decided they might as well get something for him, so they sold him to some traders on their way to Egypt. They sold him into slavery. They covered his coat with blood and told their father that he had been killed by animals. His father was terribly grieved. In fact, he said he would not stop grieving the rest of his life. Uh, Joseph was sold to Potiphar, who was the captain of the palace guard. And Joseph rose um, uh, to being second in command in the home. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, but when he rejected her, she lied about what he was doing there, and he was arrested and put in jail. He rose to the top even in jail and was second in command of the jail just to the uh, head jailer there. In jail, Joseph gained a reputation for being able to interpret dreams, which he could do by God's ability. When Pharaoh, who was the leader in Egypt, had some dreams that nobody could interpret, somebody told him about Joseph and his great ability to interpret dreams. We talked about that last week. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Pharaoh told Joseph his dreams, and Joseph properly interpreted them to reveal that there would be seven years of great prosperity in Egypt, followed by seven years of great famine. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of everything except the throne itself because he could see, and these are his words, that Joseph had the Spirit of God in him. So Joseph collected all the extra grain and stored it up during the first seven years of plenty, but now famine has hit the land and everyone is coming to Egypt to buy grain from, the thing, from what Joseph had stored up. Now Joseph's father, Jacob, and his brothers and their families, they're running out of food. They're getting hungry. So Jacob sends his 10 older brothers to Joseph, not knowing who he is, because of course he thinks he's dead, but he sends them there to, into Egypt to buy grain. Now we're going to see today that when Joseph had every reason and every opportunity and the absolute power to get revenge on the brothers that sold him into slavery, Joseph is a model of forgiveness and a model of forgiveness that we should indeed pay attention to. We're going to cover chapters 42 to 45 today. So I obviously will not be reading all of it out loud like I do many times, but I want to encourage you to go back and read it this week. Go back and read this whole thing this week, 42 through 45. And uh, I think you'll you'll uh, have even a greater appreciation for everything that happens here. By the way, if you want to follow along on the Fog app, the sermon notes are in there. So when Joseph's brothers got to Egypt, they didn't recognize him. It had been a long time since they'd seen him. 
but they bowed before him because of his position. Now, if you remember, one of Joseph's dreams, uh, actually he had two dreams, but one of them was that he was, they were all um, uh, sheaves of, uh, of wheat, and his stood up tall, and all others bowed down to him. And they mocked him for that, and they criticized him for that, and they hated him because his dream basically said they'd all bowed down to him, and yet here they are doing the exact same thing uh, because they needed food. So Joseph, instead of immediately telling him who he is and taking care of him, he decides to test them. He wants to find out, are these the same men that sold me into slavery? Are these the same men that probably broke my father's heart? So he tests his brothers. He tests his brothers' hearts. And his first test is that he falsely accuses them of being spies, and then he insists on proof of this younger brother. He does this to find out more about their situation. He wants to find out about his father. But I think most importantly, he wants to find out about their hearts. They tell him that their father is still alive and that he had this other brother uh, who was dead, basically speaking of Joseph, and then another younger brother who didn't make the trip with him. So Joseph says this in response of them telling all this. This is what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 42, verses 14 through 17. It says, but Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies, but this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Now, it's not just a test to see if they're honest, but he really wants to test them and see, are, will they be willing to give up their little brother for food? Will they be willing to do the same thing they did to him to their little brother Benjamin just so they can get fed? Have they really changed it all? So he puts them in prison, uh, telling them that he's going to send one of them back. But after three days in prison, Joseph softens a little bit, uh, and he knew their families were hungry. Basically, his family, his extended family, was hungry and needed food. So he allowed all of them to leave, but they had to leave one behind to guarantee that they would bring back their brother. Now the brothers began talking amongst themselves about how God was giving them judgment for what they had done to Joseph. And they spoke freely in front of Joseph because they didn't know that he knew their language. Most Egyptians wouldn't know what they were saying. So they were speaking their Hebrew language and Joseph didn't let on that he knew. So they're talking amongst themselves and what they're saying is, man, this is what God's doing to us for what we did to Joseph. You know, we shouldn't have done that. We were way out of line. And then, in fact, they start saying, I told you we shouldn't have done that. And another one's like, well, I told you we shouldn't have done that. They're kind of not, a little bit of blaming each other, a little blame shifting, hoping that somehow they could get out of this mess. But this moved Joseph. He heard that they had a conscience. He heard that they at least felt bad about what they did. In fact, he became emotional and he ran out of the room to go and, and uh, cry in the other room and collect himself. You know, those kind of emotional guys should be respected. 
That's a little joke. So anyway, he finds out that they do indeed have a conscience. It's really bothering them that they have to do this. So Joseph gives them grain to take home. But when their bags were filled, he had their packs, uh, the money that they gave, put back into each of their satchels full of grain. So when they got home and they told their father about the entire story, how they'd gone there to get grain and they had to leave one of their brothers behind, all the whole thing, they opened up their packs and they saw all of the money that they had paid for the grain was still with them. Now they were afraid at this point. They were afraid that they'd been set up, probably by Jacob. Or not by Jacob, but by Joseph. Too many J names there. And Jacob decides at this point, I am not going to allow them to take Benjamin. This is a setup. I'm not going to allow them to take Benjamin and break my heart too. I'm going to have to forfeit another son who's still there in Egypt and let him stay there because I can't lose Benjamin. But a few months, maybe even a couple of years later, they ran out of food and they had no choice but to go back or they would all starve to death. So Jacob, he sent his sons back for more food along with Benjamin because the brother said, listen, he told us he wouldn't even see us if Benjamin's not with us. So they have to take Benjamin. But they take Benjamin and they take the money that they had previously paid for the grain and they take more money for, for grain again and they took many other gifts that would hopefully soften Joseph's heart against uh, the brothers. Now, when they arrive, Joseph asked them if this is their youngest brother that they spoke of, and he asked if their father was still well. They answered yes to both. They said, yes, our father's doing fine, and this is indeed our youngest brother, Benjamin. So again, Joseph rushed out of the room and wept at seeing his younger brother. He got himself together. He comes back in and uh, announces that they're going to have lunch. Right, it's going to be time to eat. Now, these guys were kind of confused by all this. He's, he's giving us lunch. That's great. Now, Hebrews and Egyptians could not actually eat together in the same uh, table in the same room. So they ate separately. But when they were served food, Joseph does something a little bit um, curious to them. He gave Benjamin five times more food. Now, why would he do that? Why would he give the youngest brother five times more than any of the other brothers? Think about it. Look at it, what it says in Genesis 43, 34, just so you know I'm telling the truth. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Now, why would he do this? Is this another test? Of course it is. Of course it is. Remember, one of the biggest problems and motivators in selling Joseph was the brothers' jealousy for one another, their jealousy for Joseph. Now Benjamin is clearly their father's favorite, and Joseph wants to give him five times more to put them in the spot to do what, you know, if you have kids, you, you know exactly what's going to happen here, right? Or what you expect. He got five pieces of chocolate cake. I only got one. He got five chicken wings. I only got, well, I guess if you only get one chicken wing, you probably should complain. But you know what I mean. He got five times more of everything than I got. That's what you expect to happen. 
But look at the wording here, folks. And they drank and were merry with him. They, there was no jealousy here. There was no whispering behind Benjamin's back. There was no malice in them at all saying, he got more than we did. What is up with that? They simply were content with what they had. And they were glad that their brother had what he had. Now, this is a total, this is a total shift. Joseph can see that they've had a change of heart since the days when he was sold into slavery by them. So he again has their sacks filled with grain and he's ready to send them back. But look what Joseph does this time. He hides his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Look what it says in Genesis 44, 1 and 2. It says, Then he commanded the steward of his house Fill them in sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, my silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. Now, man, this does look like a setup coming, doesn't it? So he does all this without the brother's knowledge and Joseph allows them to leave the city but soon after they get out of the city, he has them followed and stopped and searched. His guards find the cup in Benjamin's sack and order him held while the others can leave. So basically he's saying, okay, guys, you, you didn't steal it, but your younger brother Benjamin did. He's going to stay in prison right here, but the rest of you can go. Now that's a test. Judah, who had given his father a sacred pledge to bring Benjamin back, he steps up to the plate. He, he does something that's very different than who he was three or four chapters ago. He, he reviews the entire conversation with his father, with Joseph, and then he says this to him in verses 32 through 34 of chapter 44. He says, For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain, he's saying himself, instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Wow. Judah steps up to the plate in a big way and says, I will offer myself as a ransom for Benjamin. I will offer myself as a, listen, uh, this will break my father's heart. He already lost his favorite son once and he'll grieve till the day he dies. I can't let him lose his other favorite son, even though he wasn't one. Judah has some integrity. He says, I, I promised my father, I swore to him, I took a, a sacred vow that I would bring Benjamin back. I can't go home without him. Please take me instead of Benjamin. That's, that's uh, stepping up in a big way that maybe most of us would like to think we would do. But when we're in that situation, who knows? But here's the whole point. The testing proves their repentance. It proves their repentance. They have turned things around. They are going the other direction with their lives. These tests have proved without a doubt to Joseph that his brothers have changed their ways. 
They weren't jealous of Benjamin, who is obviously his father's favorite now. They were selfless men, not selfish. They cared about their, father, their father's feelings over their own safety. When they hadn't cared about their father's feelings at all when it came to Joseph, they didn't even worry about how daddy would you know, have his heart broken when Joseph didn't come home and they told him that he had been killed. They didn't worry about dad. But now he's saying, listen, I can't let my father go through this again. I love him more than I love my own safety. I will stay here in prison if you'll just let my brother go. Wow. These were different men. So Joseph, he can't hold back any longer. He has to tell them who he is. And so we see that Joseph reveals his forgiveness. Now, he chose those words very specifically, folks, because it's not in this moment that Joseph forgives them. It's in this moment that he reveals to them that he's already forgiven them. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference. He's already forgiven them. Look what it says in Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now stop right there. Think about how this conversation goes down. <laughs> the first words out of his mouth are, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. We're going to die. I mean, this is the second most powerful man in the whole world who just revealed to them that he is the brother they sold into slavery. You knew those men had to go from zero to 150 in their fear factor right there. What is this guy going to do to us? And they came near. He said, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. But God. Keep in mind, keep in mind, Joseph has almost total power. He had the power to have his brothers imprisoned. He had the power to have them all hung. He had the power to do anything he wanted to do. And no one would have questioned him whatsoever. But he didn't do those things. He forgave them. And he told them, I've forgiven you. In fact, he did it quite some time ago. He only now reveals it to them. They were stunned. They were stunned. I, I can't even imagine the emotions they went through in that 30 seconds when this conversation took place. But now... Joseph sends them home to get their father and tell him that he was alive. He packs them up with all kinds of gifts and wealth to go back to their father and break the news to him that Joseph, he, was not only alive, 
but he was now the second most powerful man on the earth. And in that passage we just read, he realized the sovereignty of God that although you may have meant this for evil for me, God meant it for good. And by doing what you meant to do evil to me, God has used it to save our family and the nation of Israel. He's second only to Pharaoh on the earth. And he sends them back with this huge loot of stuff to let his father know that he really is truly alive. So what does Joseph's forgiveness do? What what does it trigger? What happens in their family? Because one man, one man chooses to forgive and follow through with that. And by by the way, forgiveness isn't just a bunch of words. Forgiveness is I'm deciding never to hold this against you again. I will never bring this up again. This is as far as the east is from the west. We'll talk about that again here in a minute too. But look what Joseph's forgiveness does. It brings, for, it brings reconciliation and healing to their family. Look at Genesis 45 verses 25 through 28. So they went up out of Egypt, the brothers, and they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. How could he? But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, Jacob, said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die, and he does. You see, folks, anger and unforgiveness bring about acts of vengeance, revenge, fits of rage, words of hate and anger that can never be unsaid. You could spend all afternoon watching YouTube videos of road rage. I wouldn't recommend you do. Come to the picnic instead way better for you. But there's enough of them out there. Somebody pulls in front of me and now I want you dead. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. I'm going to get ahead of them and just drive them off the road, maybe into a tree. I mean, that's the way people in our culture think. And you got to be careful these days because anybody that cuts you off may also have a gun. Do you realize that 80% of murders are by someone the victim knows. The majority are not just random acts of violence. They're a family member. They're a friend. They're a colleague that get crossways with each other so desperately, so badly that someone loses their temper and does something so extreme that it can never be undone. We don't have time to go through the statistics of spousal abuse and child abuse People doing acts of anger and vengeance, revenge toward one another. Our culture is full of it. Well, I'm certainly glad that that's just an Old Testament principle, right? No, not so fast. Let's see what God says in the New Testament about these things. In Romans 12, 19, the Bible says this, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now again, the wording is very important here. 
If you study this passage out, what it really is saying is, listen, don't ever, ever get somebody back. Don't, just don't do it. That's God's job. That's God's job. If, if they need vengeance, they'll get vengeance. Listen, God, uh, part of God is full of judgment. But part of God is full of love and mercy and grace. And it's his decision and timing when to exercise either. And the reality is when he says, vengeance is mine, it's my job, says the Lord. What he's saying is, listen, when you choose to get back at somebody, you're basically saying, now you may not consciously be thinking it, but you're basically saying with your actions, God, you're not doing a good enough job. You need my help. Let me help you now because I know better than you do. Folks, that's a very dangerous place to be. That's a form of idolatry. That's a form of setting yourself up higher than God and saying, I need to be God. I don't trust him to make things right in his time. He needs my help. And that's why he's saying don't do that. And listen, I bet if I were to ask you, which do you prefer from God? God's immediate vengeance or his timely love and mercy and grace? Each one of us in this room would say, I prefer love and mercy and grace way above his vengeance. And yet we want to give it to others immediately. Folks, we need to not do that. We need to not do that. And lastly, I want you to see today that in Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now again, God's word is so beautiful, the way he just words things so perfectly. It doesn't just say, hey, listen, how God forgives you, you forgive others. That would be a challenge in and of itself, right? But it says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, how? As God in Christ has forgiven you. See, the reality is all of us are desperate sinners. There are enough, not enough sheets of paper, enough pens and pencils in the world to list all the sins of the people in this room. If we went back in our whole lives and listed everything that we've ever done wrong, if they could ever be remembered, it would just, just be millions. And what God is saying here is, listen, I want you to forgive others as I have forgiven you in Christ. So we each have this long list of sins that we can't do anything about. We can't take them back. We can't undo them. We can't go back in time and make better choices. And so God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. He said, I know you can't pay for them. I know there's no way you can pay. Let me take care of it for you. And so he pays with the life of his son so that whoever would put their faith and trust in what Jesus did could experience complete and total forgiveness. We can experience, instead of God's judgment, instead of God's vengeance, which I don't ever want to experience, we experience God's love and mercy and grace. And he's saying, I want you to forgive other people the way that I have forgiven you completely and totally in my son Jesus. Now, that's a big, that's a big, uh, that's a big challenge for us. When he said that he will remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, that is a profound, profound thing to think through. 
it doesn't say north to south for a reason. Because if you stand on the South Pole and you say, God has forgiven my sins as far as the North Pole, that is a finite distance. If you start walking from the South Pole to the North Pole, when you get to the North Pole, any step you take is south. You can turn around in all directions, and any step you take is going to go south. That's why he doesn't say it's north to south. It's east to west. Because if you stand on the east equator and you say, from this spot, I'm going to go uh, west. And maybe, maybe two of us stand back to back and we say, you go east, I'll go west. We just keep going forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. God's saying the way that I'm forgiving your sins like that, you need to forgive one another. Now, I know in a group of people this large, there are people in this room right now that are saying to themselves, man, I wish I wouldn't have come to church today. Because there's somebody that really did me dirty. And they did it, they didn't do it accidentally. Listen, we, have a, we, we can forgive people when they accidentally hurt our feelings pretty well. But when people with forethought and malice do us wrong on purpose, we just have a really hard time sometimes just letting it go. Folks, God wants us to experience, to give forgiveness for them, not for their benefit, but for our own benefit. Listen, when you have anger and bitterness in your heart, and every time you see them, boy, it just wells up in you, and you just want, I mean, my teeth grit, you know, you just want to, you want to get back at them, right? That's, that's something going on in me, and it eats your heart up. I mean, it will eat you alive. I know people whose lives have been wrecked by nothing more than anger and bitterness. But when we forgive, when we act like Christ, when we act like God the Father, and we forgive others, even when they've done us dirty, really dirty. And by the way, probably not too many people in here have been sold into slavery by their own family. Joseph was a mere man, and he chose to forgive. Folks, we need to do that for our benefit, for God's honor and glory. He will bless us when we do that. He will bless us in our hearts because we've decided to act in a reflective way of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you today, take care of that. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And if you got something against somebody in this room, you go make that right before you leave today. And even if they did you dirty on purpose, you just, you just go to them and say, listen, I'm going to let this go. I apologize. I forgive you. Whatever you need to say. I just want you to know I'm not going to ever mention this again. I forgive you. And let it go. You will be the free one. You will the one ex be experiencing freedom from that bitterness and anger. And if you have a family member or a friend that you've been thinking of today, make a phone call. Talk to them. Just forgive them. Forgive them, folks. It's only when we reflect who Jesus is. And by the way, if you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Christ, you can't reflect him. You can only reflect him if he's in you. But for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, it's imperative that we don't just get into our minds, hey, I'm in the club, I can do what I want. That's not how it works. We've got to really live it out. 
and say, I need to, I don't want to. Sometimes my humanness just doesn't want to give in, but I yield. I yield to God's spirit and God's word, and I forgive. I forgive you. I don't hold it against you. It's as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to let it go, and it's never going to come up again. It will be freeing for you, and you will be reflecting Christ in a very dark world that desperately needs to see him. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to forgive those who have wronged us. God, we know that we have wronged you in so many ways, in so many big ways. And yet you have offered us forgiveness, freedom, mercy, and grace through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to offer that same kind of forgiveness to others. God, you know in our humanness that it's sometimes very hard for us to get past that and, and really get to a place where we can and do it in all honesty. But God, with your spirit in us, we know that we can. And so help us reflect uh, Jesus to those who have wronged us, to those who will wrong us. Help us to be quick to forgive. Help us to do that because you want us to, because we want to glorify and honor you, and we want to be free from bitterness and anger. Help us to not live in those places. Help us to not say things and do things that we regret and things that maybe can never be undone. We love you, and we thank you for first loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.